Good morning, and uh, welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. Uh, my name is Matthew, seen the past senior pastor here. Uh, on behalf of, of all of us at Pleasant Street, very glad that you could be with us today, whether you're in person in the room, savoring that smell of bacon, uh, or whether you're online. Um, I don't think we have smell-o-vision installed yet, so that, that might not be coming through as strongly, but for the rest of us here, we are we're having some bacon envy, I think, for the, the high school students who had a chance to, to share some breakfast this morning. Uh, it's good to be back. After missing a week, we thought we'd, we would change pace and have church after all uh, this week, so glad, glad that you could be with us today. Uh, when we worship, uh, in case it is new to you or in case it's been a while, we use a printed liturgy. You can follow the things and the order of our service in there. Things that we will be saying and singing together are also printed on the screens, or you can find them in the picture within a picture on your window at home as well. Uh, these things that we say and do together are the ways that God meets us in this space, right? And so speaking of ways that God is meeting us, I wanted to highlight for you one of the things that we've brought back um, as we move into a later part of the winter and numbers change around sickness and whatnot, we're going back to something we tried in the fall called gospel formation, and these were some experiments that we had tried to try to help us um, take the things that we are doing in our worship life and, and work them deeper into our own lives. And so there's, there's two things, right? For our um, Echo Age students and our Kids Street Age students, we're doing, uh, we're doing the New City Catechism. They're doing some doctrine and Bible memory together. And for adults, we're doing a sermon discussion group. And so just give me a second. I, I want to pitch it one more time because it's been a while. You can time me, right? So here we go. For catechism, right? Memorizing doctrine. Uh, athletes, they practice, right? They do the same things over and over and over and over again. Why? Because of muscle memory, right? So that when you comes time for game time, you don't have to think about what you're doing. Your body knows it instinctively, right? Uh, memorizing doctrines in Scripture is a little bit like that. We put these things deep into our kids at an early age, knowing they might need them later, right? Here's some examples. So you walk, uh, you're waiting in the room. The doctor comes in with a thick cl uh, clipboard, and he gives you four months, right? You, uh, you're at recess after lunch, and a bully and their cohorts comes up and starts picking on you. Uh, you're with a coworker around the water cooler or maybe the Zoom water cooler, right, if you're not going to the office, and they ask you what you did this weekend. Right, what do those three things have in common? Well, they are all great instances to know and have Heidelberg Catechism Q&A 1 memorized. My only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my faith or Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, because when you get that diagnosis and when you get bullied, those are opportunities for you to feel threatened that you don't mean very much in life, that death is going to steal everything that there is. But if you have that memorized, you can pull on that and you can remember, no, no, death can't have me because Jesus already died for me. And the bully can't steal my worth because Jesus paid the ultimate cost. I mean that much to him. And when your coworker asks you what you did with your weekend, you can tell your coworker that you voluntarily took your time to go and participate in the life of a church because Jesus freely gave everything that he had for you and you find life's greatest meaning in freely giving back, 
right? So see, does that make sense? All right, hopefully that was quick. The other thing is for the sermon discussion, right, our goal to deepen our own faith is not just to hear sermons, but to talk about what we are hearing and to share that with each other. The reason we do this is because it's low stakes. The only thing that we need to be able to talk about is the Bible and what you heard from me. And so you don't have to come with anything else other than just having been here, right? See? So it's easy. So please join us 15 minutes after fellowship time. Uh, uh, Kate will help us to remember how the kids are dismissed downstairs for half an hour of uh, catechism. Uh, and then we will gather, I think, in the back there for a sermon discussion. You're most welcome to join us. Thanks, guys. All right, would you please rise in body or in spirit? And we are going to begin our worship together. We do this with a call to worship. It's a good reminder that however difficult or easy it was for us to come to church today, it's God who is the one who is calling us. Let's say these words together. Friends, the Lord be with you. We have gathered today to praise our gracious God. Make a joyful noise to God. Sing the glory of his name. So let's shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Let's sing a joyful song together.
you've done for me.
Father, you have loved us beyond our understanding, yet we have turned from your ways. We have sinned against you in our thoughts and words. You show us how to have compassion and love our neighbors as ourselves. We fail to notice moments of grace throughout our days, sometimes hurt our family and friends. Yet you have stood by us and offered us grace and a path to righteousness for your name's sake. Confess we need your help every day. We pray for forgiveness and mercy upon us. Please spend some time in silent confession. Friends, hear these words of assurance. Friends, hear this good news. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He beckons all who are thirsty, all who are weary, to drink this living water so that our spirit may be renewed in Christ. Holy is the Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll keep singing, holy, holy, holy.
of Christ be with you. Let's greet each other in these times of COVID if, if you feel comfortable. I should have all the third through fifth, uh, I'm sorry, that's not right. <laughs> all of the Kid Street kids come up, please. People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. My name is Sue Cooper, and I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street Church. It is my honor to lead our congregational prayer this morning. A couple prayer requests. As you noted in your bulletin, uh, Howard, um, Howard's brother Jim passed away this week, and um, he will be sorely missed by that family. So please pray for them. Also, Carol L. is in the hospital uh, up at UMass with some heart issues uh, her birthday was yesterday. You could send her belated birthday card. Um, her daughter Tracy is in, but she's not able to visit, so pray for her, too. She's a lot of frustration there. Um, Hank and Bev. Uh, Hank E. is having surgery this week, as well as Leanne L. Um, so please keep them in your prayers. Let us also remember the shut-ins in our church and in our neighborhoods. In the winter, it's much harder for many to get out. So take some time to check in on them and offer any help and lift them up in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our loving Father and that we can approach you as, our, as your children. Thank you for being our steady rock in the midst of shifting sand all around us. Help us to depend on you as we navigate in this time between redemption and the full restoration of this world. We need you. Father, thank you for new life. We rejoice with John and Faye in the birth of a new grandson. And Father, we pray for the DeVries family and the loss of Jim. Surround them with your loving arms and comfort. Give them your peace as they grieve their loss. We pray for all who mourn. Give them hope for the coming day when there will be no more tears or sadness. Be with Carol as she waits for test results in the hospital. Renew her strength and be with her daughter Tracy as well. We pray for Hank and Leanne, who will both have surgery this week. We pray that you will guide the uh, doctors and uh, 
bring good results. We pray for others who are struggling with health concerns and for those who are lonely, depressed, or anxious. You are the great healer. Bring restoration and wholeness into their lives. We pray for the elderly and the shut-ins of our church. Motivate us to be your hands and feet to bring cheer and acts of service. Father, we pray for your church around the world and here at Pleasant Street. We pray for those who face persecution for your sake. Cause your gospel message to grow even in the most inhospitable conditions. We pray for the leadership of our church, pastors Matthew and Annika, for Kate and Diane and Sadie, for the elders and deacons and for our many volunteers. Lead us and guide us along the way, for if you lead us, we cannot stray. Father, bless Pastor Matthew as he brings us your word today. Open our hearts and minds to receive it and let it become living water in our souls. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, I have the privilege of reading John 4, 1 through 26. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, friends. We've been looking at the Gospel of John together, uh, starting after Christmas and this Epiphany season. Uh, and right now we're watching Jesus have conversations. And two weeks ago, uh, we saw him talk to an insider in the dead of night, a learned man, um, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Today we see him in broad daylight, the middle of the day, talking to an outsider, a woman, a Samaritan. And John putting those two things together for us suggests that if Jesus can talk from one extreme of the spectrum to the other in the ancient world, that all of us could find ourselves somewhere in the middle today able to have a conversation with him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, some of us come to you and it feels as though it is the dead of night and we come with secret questions and we are concerned that other people might overhear. Others of us come in broad daylight because we have nowhere else to turn. Lord, we trust that you see us and so that we are in just the right place this morning. Would you come and talk with us? I pray this in your name. Amen. As I mentioned this morning, Jesus is having a conversation at a well, and Jesus wants to talk about water, which makes sense because he's sitting by a well. And maybe it was all the snow or the rain this week, but I was thinking about water. I was thinking about how water always finds the lowest spot. If you've ever had a flat roof, you know this to be true. Have you ever noticed this before? Water always finds the lowest place, and it fills that up first. Well, that's part of why the Fellowship Hall basement floods sometimes. And it's also why a pipe that burst in the ceiling of the kitchen meant we had to clean up the nursery. Right? Because water always finds the lowest spot. On a flat roof, in a field, at the bottom of a well. And apparently conversations with Jesus can be a bit like that too. Somehow Jesus always finds the lowest spot, the hollow, the empty place. In fact, something just like that seems to be happening with a Samaritan woman who came to draw water at this well where Jesus is sitting. She has come to this well in the midday only to find a Jewish rabbi sitting there resting, tired from his journey. He's there because Jesus has recently learned that his popularity in Judea caught the attention of the Pharisees. And so, naturally, gaining traction and a following, Jesus walks away from it all. And for some reason, on his way back to Galilee, John tells us that he has to. He has this compulsion 
this need to go through Samaria. What possessed him of that, we do not know. Every other self-respecting Jewish person knows that actually the thing is you have to avoid Samaria. Samaria is something you go around, like staying on the highway over the bad neighborhoods in the rough part of the city. But for some reason, Jesus just has to take the surface roads through the neighborhoods that everyone else knows it's better to drive over. And he comes to Sychar, and rather than go into town and put his feet up at a respectable hotel, he decides to sit by a well a ways out from things in the middle of the day at noon. Jesus is sitting by Jacob's well, which is a bit out of the way. It's midday, the sun is high, and along comes a woman, empty water jar in hand. This is not the time that women come for water. And there are water sources that would have been closer to her as well. So she has come farther than she needs to at a time that is later than anyone would want to. She has gone to some trouble to avoid being seen. But see her, he does. Here sits this rabbi, this prophet, this Jewish man, and not only has he noticed her, he sees something. Jesus asks innocently enough for a drink of water. She's not sure what to do with that request at first, and not just because he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan, but also because asking a woman for a drink of water at a well is usually how a marriage proposal starts in the Bible. This conversation is starting on a rather forward note. Uh, why is a guy like you asking a girl like me for a drink of water? Ah, says Jesus, but if you only knew who was asking you for water, you would be asking the one asking you for living water. Now we're talking about God, and it's the second interchange of this conversation. Like a buoy on the ocean, she wants to get this conversation back to the surface as quickly as possible. You don't have a bucket. Where would you get this water? You're not suggesting that you're somehow greater than Jacob, are you? Jesus replies that he's talking about a different kind of water. Water you don't have to go and get over and over again. In fact, if you had this water, you wouldn't ever thirst again because you wouldn't have to go and get it again because you would have the source inside of you. So she says, sir, I would like that water. I don't want to have to come back here again. I don't want to have to keep doing this. And then Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, that's right. Actually, you've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. Now, it might be that some of us know this conversation quite well. It's familiar. We've heard it for a long time. But actually, you could be reading it for the first time, and it's not hard to see what's going on. Jesus can see to the bottom of her like a shallow pool on a calm day. 
Jesus can see right to her soul where there is a hollow like a dry well, but she does not really want to be seen. This is the hard part about Jesus. We understand that Samaritans are marginalized people. We like that Jesus goes out of his way to talk to marginalized people. We don't like so much that he points out her sins. And yes, Jesus really is pointing out her sins. Jesus is uncovering a long and painful history of relationships that have not gone very well. That being said, it doesn't mean necessarily that she is a woman of ill repute. There could be a number of reasons that she's married five times, right? It could be that her community practiced leveret marriage and that she keeps outliving husbands only to marry another brother and then another and then another. Whatever the reason, by the time that she gets to guy number six, what's clear is that the system is not working. No woman plans to be married five times. No person signs up for a love relationship like marriage thinking that they will come out the other side emptier and more hollow than when they begin. Jesus is trying to show her that marriage for her has been like drinking salt water. The more she has, the thirstier she gets. She's come to this well in order not to be seen, to draw water and peace and obscurity. And Jesus sits there and he uncovers the deepest, hollowest part of her life. Somehow, conversation with Jesus always finds the lowest part, the empty place, the thirst within us. And I know what you're thinking. And you're right, most of us have not been married five times. So maybe we do have that going for us, sure. But then again, some of us have been through five churches, and we're on the sixth one, and the one we have now is not really our church. We've gotten to a point where attending is all we've come to expect. Who needs a piece of paper to tell you you're a member if I feel like a member, right? Some of us have had five jobs in the last five years, and this sixth one isn't really what we want to be doing, but the money's good anyway for now. Some of us have signed up for five streaming services, and we are considering a sixth. We don't really know why other than to say we have this deep abiding fear that we might miss something. Some of us have tried five looks hoping that we can get people to notice us in just the way that we want to be perceived. We've tried five gyms. We're on our sixth workout routine. We've started five degree programs only to cast them aside. We're on the sixth self-help book. We've had five Bible studies. The one we have now isn't really ours. We're on our sixth television preacher. To all of it, some desperate attempt to fill something hollow deep inside of us. 
You know, I find it interesting that this woman, in terms of contrast to Nicodemus, one of the, the other contrasts is that she has no name. She is remembered simply as the woman at the well. It's almost, it's almost as if her desperate thirst has taken her identity, which is, of course, the way our thirst works too. If only we could see it. What you've said, you know, it's quite true. The man you have now is not your husband. Somehow it's like everything that's been promised to fill her up has trickled out the bottom. And it's happened so many times that she just kind of gave up. She's given up hope of ever being satisfied. And so maybe she sealed off the empty well altogether. And she comes to an out-of-the-way well at an out-of-the-way time, hoping that no one will notice her or remind her that she's got so many things to forget. The church building sat on a prime piece of land in a beautiful neighborhood, and the building had been there since the 70s, and that was long enough that no one could really remember whatever had been there before. Whatever buildings were on the land before this church was built, they were long forgotten. One day, right in the middle of the front lawn, a little divot formed. There had been a heavy, heavy rain for a number of days, and then the rain cleared and suddenly there was a divot. And overnight, the divot became a depression. And the depression caved in, and it became a proper hole in the ground, probably three feet by three feet. And you could peer down there. You couldn't see the bottom. Nobody knew what caused it. Nobody knew how far down it went. We started poking around inside of it with some big iron bars, because that's a good idea. (laughs) And we discovered that it was an old, abandoned concrete tank that sank at least 12 feet into the ground, and it was bone dry. The empty cistern had sat buried right under our feet, right under the spot where everybody was gathering to play volleyball and have cookouts and run around after church week after week, year after year. It sat there buried for decades, and nobody knew it was there until the lid broke open revealing just how empty the ground was beneath us. And in this conversation, something like that is happening too. Because Jesus is suggesting to this woman that buried beneath the disappointments of her life, buried beneath the pleasantries that she tries to hover over, she carries a hollow well inside of her. But she seems to have forgotten that it's there, which is why Jesus must uncover it so that she can remember, which is what a prophet does. Clearly, clearly this guy has her number. Clearly you are some kind of prophet, she says, a prophet with an uncanny ability to see with x-ray vision to things that are hidden from others, hidden even from ourselves, which is why Jesus asks her for a drink. Do you ever notice that? Another very interesting thing, ironic. Jesus is the one talking about thirst. 
but he's doing that to awaken her to her own. You see, it's in asking her for a glass of water that Jesus is showing her how to ask him for living water. Through this conversation, this beautiful conversation, Jesus asks for a drink when, in fact, he is himself the one with something to offer. He is asking for water when, in fact, really, she is the one who is thirsty. And my friends, this is the gospel. The hard part of the gospel is realizing that we need it. The hard part of the good news is seeing how desperately we are trying to get along without it. The hard part is realizing that everything that we are drinking into ourselves just keeps trickling out the bottom. It takes a prophet to see that. Clearly, Jesus, you are a prophet. You have my number. I got nothing more to say. Clearly, you can see us to the bottom in a way that we cannot even see ourselves. It takes a prophet to see that, but it takes a Savior to do something about it. And she says, clearly, you are a prophet, and one day the Messiah is going to come. And I don't understand this Trinitarian theology lesson you're trying to get me, but, but one day Messiah will make everything clear and fill up what is lacking and straighten out all that is crooked and make everything sad come untrue again. And Jesus says, I the one speaking to you right now, am he. Seeing it is the hard part, but then once you do, all you have to do is ask. Jesus is the one who can see us to the bottom and who loves us full to the brim. Loves us, in fact, to overflowing. Jesus, the fount of living water who is full to the brim of grace and truth, which is what she goes to tell the neighbors. See, while the disciples come back and they're scratching their heads about where Jesus, did he get lunch from somewhere else? I don't, you know, we went all the way to town for him and I don't under, you know, the disciples are trying to figure this out. Meanwhile, she leaves the water jar and this nameless woman, she goes to the center of town, the town that she so carefully avoided. And she's telling everyone, come see a man who saw me to the bottom and loved me anyway. Do you think he could be the Messiah? That is her evangelistic pitch. And the whole town comes. Oh, my friend, she puts us to shame. She doesn't know anything about Jesus. She doesn't even know his name she didn't understand the theology lesson he was trying to give her about worshiping the Father and Spirit and truth and the Son and the Spirit. She didn't get it. But she got that here was a guy who saw her to the bottom, all the way to the bottom, and loved her to the brim. She doesn't have a name, but you should know that the church throughout the centuries has remembered her not as a woman who had five husbands, but as an evangelist who came for a jar of water and left with the well. Unless we think that this is a one-time offer for a particular woman a long time ago, just read a little bit farther and you get to John 7. And there during a great big church service, not in Samaria, but in the middle of Jerusalem, Jesus stands up in front of everyone and he shouts for everyone to see and to hear, whoever is thirsty, let them come to me and drink and I will give you a river of water that bubbles up to overflowing from within you. Whoever. Whoever is thirsty, why that could be anyone. That could mean anyone who was longing for a God who could see them and yet still somehow love them, like actually see 
all of their desperation and hollowness and love them full. Why, that could be someone who could come to Jesus. That could be someone who has been hollowed out by grief or fear or sadness and is in need of a spring of joy that could bubble up within them. Why anyone like that could come to Jesus. Why anyone who knows the hollow ring of accolades or other people's praise and is longing for a love that really satisfies could come to Jesus and be filled up with the love of God himself. Let anyone, let everyone come. Not to the well not to church, but to the hill outside Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus is lifted up on a cross. And there the Son of God, the Messiah himself, the one who is full to the brim of the Spirit and grace and truth, he says, I thirst. I thirst. Do you know what they gave him? Vinegar. And he takes it on a sponge that you can have the fresh water of God's Spirit welling up in you. How's it work? How's he do that? Come and see. Come and meet a man who sees us to the bottom and loves us to the brim. Come, take, drink, remember, and believe. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, in seeing you get weary, we realize our own weariness. In seeing you ask for a cup of water, we realize just how thirsty we are. Help us to go to the place where you poured out absolutely everything that you had that we might drink to the full. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hmm. There it is. One of these days, I will remember to bring it with me. Friends, we move from the world out there to worship in here and from hearing about God's good news to being able to taste it together. If you are at home with us around your own table, or whether you're in this room around this table, it is the Lord's table. And no matter what size the cup is that's there, or how big the loaf of bread that you might have, when we do this, we are taking a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. But because of God's Spirit present here, God turns this into a great big meal of faith. And Jesus has done everything that we need in order to come here. And so all you have to do is pull up a seat and join us. Friends, as we do our communion liturgy together, which we would have done last week, it would have been Family Sunday in which we try to um, make space for our younger and newer members at the table as well. And so we'll use a a child-friendly communion liturgy for that. Uh, the words will be on the screen. Friends, let's, let's do this together. The Lord be with you. 
Set your hope on God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Friends, this is the table of the Lord, and he invites all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation to sit with him and share this joyful feast together. Oh, there it is. Thank you. It is our joy to say thank you to God for this meal and for saving us today and always. We thank you, God, creator of all. You gave us life and you loved us before we even knew you. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. His death freed us from sin. His resurrection gives us new life. His return will bring us to live in God's house forever. We thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit make this bread and cup a holy meal of faith. Amen. We come to this table because Jesus invited us here. To remember him, Jesus tells us to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in true faith and to keep doing this until he comes again. In this meal, God tells us that our sins have been completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken and Jesus' blood was shed. God also tells us that the Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ and through Jesus, one with all other Christians. Oh, yeah. There you go. Let us all together, young and old, familiar and new, remember the story of how this meal began. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was eating with his disciples, and like always, he took some bread, and he thanked God, and he broke it. But on this last night with his friends, he added some wonderful words. This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this and remember me. And when they had finished eating supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup makes you sons and daughters in my blood. Drink this and remember me. So now, following Jesus' example and command, we take this bread and this cup, the ordinary things of this world which Christ made special. So even today, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember Jesus' death until he comes again. Together. What faith do we declare at this table? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Come then, people of God, to the joyful feast of our Lord. Please pray with me. Loving God, you made this world marvelous for us to enjoy. You gave Jesus to be our Savior, Lord, and friend, and to bring us to you. You send your Spirit to make us one family in Christ. Through your goodness, we have this bread and wine to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing of this bread, and through your word, may we know the power of your salvation. We celebrate because Jesus shared his life with his disciples and shared it with the church in the past, and he shares it with us now. Make us one in Christ and one with each other through this meal. Amen.
Friends, come, for all is ready. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Go ahead and open the the bread side of your container. If you need help, you can ask a neighbor. Brothers and sisters, take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. When you're ready, go ahead and turn... Turn it over, becomes a cup. Brothers and sisters, take drink, remember, and believe that the the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. For such a wonderful meal, we should say thank you. Let's do that together. Join me in this litany. For your amazing sacrifice that has made us clean and forgiven and free, For this bread and wine that help us remember your amazing love for us, we thank you, Jesus, for making us part of your body, the church, for blessing us so that we can bless others in the world. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Having been fed at the table, we make our response to God together by giving some of what God has given to us back for our offering. You can give a couple of different ways at our church right now, both by dropping off checks in the front or during the week or by donating online as well. Having done so, would you pray with me? Lord, having fed us so lavishly, it is a small thing for us to learn to give back. We ask that you would take these things that we give to you in genuine and heartfelt faith and trust and that you would, uh, like this bread and wine, that you would increase them that through them you would do do more than we could ask or imagine uh, to build up your church, to build up our faith, and to help people to know the immense love that you have for Jesus, through Jesus, for the world, and for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together. Please rise.
unspoken rest beside these living waters. Lord of living waters, whom we praise, whom we lift up our hearts to, who has come to us, sends us out like that woman at the well. Let's pray this sending prayer together. Lord, we have felt your love today as we leave this house of worship and go to our schools, our homes, and workplaces. Bless us and be near us so that we feel and lavish out your presence in all we do. Amen. Friends, as you go, would you receive God's parting blessing for you? May the grace of Christ, which renews us daily, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's go singing.
follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold. Something like that. 